Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God. We find it written in the Gospel according to St. Luke, reading there in the 17th chapter, the 32nd verse. Remember Lot's wife. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus. And it is a beautiful morning, isn't it, with the sun shining this anniversary Sunday. It's nice to be here in God's house. As we know, today we are observing the 98th anniversary of the founding of our congregation. This means that within two years we shall celebrate 100 years. We are also noting the fact that it was 54 years ago today on the second Sunday in September uh, that this church edifice was dedicated to the glory of God. We come here this morning and the text that I have chosen, words of Jesus, I feel are very appropriate for this occasion. Our master spoke these words when he was over in Perea. You recall that he had an eight-month ministry down in Judea. Then he went up into Galilee, and Jesus spent about two years up there in ministry. And then he crossed the River Jordan and spent about four months in the Perean region on his way to Jerusalem to suffer and die. The words of our text he spoke in Perea just about four months before his death. And before that group that day, he said this. He said, remember Lot's wife. Jesus would say to you and me this morning on this anniversary Sunday, this day of remembrance, remember Lot's wife. And I wonder how many of us remember anything about Lot's wife. If you recall, Lot lived about 2,000 years before Jesus came into the world. Lot was the nephew of Abraham. Lot's father was Haran, who was a brother of Abraham. And when Abraham left Ur of the Chaldees, Lot the nephew went along. And he went into this strange land of Canaan with his uncle Abraham. And there we know that they prospered in this strange land to the point that their herdsmen were having trouble with one another to find grazing places. And so it was that Abraham said to Lot, Lot, we'd better separate. You find the place where you want to go and I'll take what's left. It was then you recall that Lot decided that he wanted to go to the plains around the Jordan and he went there and Abraham remained in the region of Hebron. When Lot moved in that area, he moved into the city that is called Sodom and I'm sure you remember that city. And then it came the two angels who came as men visited Lot one day and told him that God was going to destroy the city of Sodom and that they had to leave. The two sons-in-law would not believe it. But on the next day, the angels told Lot and his wife, you've got to hurry and don't you dare look back. And so the four of them started to leave the city of Sodom and as they were going on their way, it was Lot's wife, you remember, that turned around and she looked back when she had been told not to do so. Her heart yearned for Sodom, wicked city though it was, and we are told in the word of God that when she looked back, she turned into a pillar of salt. The fire and the brimstone that came from heaven 
the sulfur and the salt, it encrusted her body, and there she was, the pillar of salt, because she had looked back. She was the lady, Christian friends, who had the chance to be saved from the city of Sodom, but she turned back and she looked back. She was one who was the backslider. And today Jesus says on Remembrance Sunday, remember Lot's wife. We don't know what her name was. Remember this woman who was the wife of Lot. Remember her, the one that had a chance to be saved. And she let it slide through her fingers. She let it escape her. We may say, what's that got to do today with an anniversary, with a Remembrance Sunday? We may say, why should I remember Lot's wife on this day? And Christ would remind you and me of this, that it's only when we remember Lot's wife, when we keep her in mind and say, there was a woman that had a chance to be saved, and she goofed it and she blew it, then we may say to ourselves, now I have begun to appreciate, and I begin to appreciate, just what the Church of Jesus Christ and what his word really means. And this is what Christ would have you and me know today. Remember Lot's wife. Baron and mine never forget the woman that had a chance and let it escape. Then Jesus says, I'll assure you, you will begin to appreciate and to thank me for my church, to thank me for the word that is preached there, then you will begin to say, this is a wonderful thing. In other words, today we may say, look at the number of people that see nothing of value in the church. They've left it. They see nothing of any importance. They see no goodness in it. They say, what are you doing today? You're talking about 98 years and you're talking about 54 years. All you're talking about, isn't it this, the perpetuation of a building? It's something of a glorious past. What good is the church today? Is it relevant? Where is there any value? This morning on this anniversary Sunday, I'd like to take a little time with you on the basis of the Word of God to look at the church and the Word that is preached and to see what's right with the church for the change. It's so easy, isn't it, with our brickbats to tell everybody what's wrong with the church. This is wrong and that is wrong. And the church has no value, just the building. Perhaps we'd better stop, and as we remember Lot's wife, the woman that had a chance, the defector, the one that looked back in longing for Sodom and was destroyed, perhaps then you and I will begin to say, the church does have value. When we remember Lot's wife, Jesus would remind us that then and only then will we thank him for the church and for his word, which again, which warned you and me that all of us can fall from grace. Lot's wife, so near, rescue and yet so far. Where is it but in the church and in the preaching of the word, as St. Paul says, the foolishness of preaching? Where is it where you and I can go and find the warning that none of us dare be filled with pride, that all of us can fall from grace? that when we do that which we know is deliberately wrong, that we lose Jesus Christ and can lose our soul, so that you and I may be on our guard, where else can you go and hear that message that has an eternal value for you and me, but in the church of Jesus Christ? We say to ourselves, 
Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. What is there that makes the church of value when I remember the woman that had the chance to be saved and she allowed it to slip through her fingers? Then we begin to appreciate and we say, look at his church. And we're speaking of our local congregation and the word of God that is preached. What do I find in church? Is the church of any value? Is it relevant in this 20th century? Is there a reason to thank God for it and to thank Jesus for it? Jesus would remind you and me that when we remember Lot's wife and what happened to her, she had a chance and yet she was destroyed because she looked back. Then we're going to say, well, here's something about the church. The church warns that the world with its temptations is always there pressing on you and me. What temptations there were for Lot's wife in the city of Sodom. It's got a name, Sodom. We mention a sin of sodomy. When the two angels came, you recall, and came into Sodom, there were men who again wanted them to come out. Here was homosexuality at its worst. Here were those that no longer found satisfaction with male to female, but it was male to male. They wanted these angels in the guise of men to come out that they might abuse them. 2,000 years before Jesus came and the sin is still called sodomy. This was the kind of a town. Where is it but in the church of Jesus Christ and in his word that you and I are warned of the world's enticements and temptation? Where are you going to find it except when we come into God's house. And there the word of God warns that the temptations of the world are real. Jesus would say, remember Lot's wife. When you and I remember her, the woman that had the chance to be saved but was destroyed because she looked back. When we can come into the church and say, I remember Lot's wife, then Jesus says, here is what is right with the church. The church also warns you and me oh, that punishment is certain to come. Remember the story that three angels had first visited Abraham and one was God, the Lord himself, the Son of God, Jesus before his incarnation. And you recall that when the angels announced to Abraham that God was going to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, remember that Abraham pled with the Lord and he said, Lord, but supposing there are 50 righteous people left in Sodom, will you destroy it? And the Lord said, no. And then remember Abraham said, but Lord, supposing there's only five lacking, 45, will you destroy the city? And the Lord said, no. And Abraham said, only 40, would you save the city? And the Lord said, yes. Supposing there's only 30, would you save the city? Abraham pleading for Sodom. Supposing there's only 20, and the Lord said, I'll save it. And then Abraham, Lord, forgive me once more. Supposing there's only 10, will you save the city? And the Lord said, if there are ten righteous left in Sodom, I'll save the city. You see, there were only four. Four started out, only three made it. Lot's wife didn't make it. She looked back. There was a yearning for Sodom with all of its incest, with all of its wickedness. And the fire and brimstone came. And as tradition tells us that Sodom and Gomorrah, they lie at the bottom of the salt sea or the dead sea, as we call it. Punishment come. Where in the world will you and I go and hear the message that punishment is going to come, that Christ is coming again and that sinners will be destroyed if they are apart from Jesus Christ than in the church? 
What's right with the church? Is it just the worship of a building? Is it just this that we come into God's house and we go through a liturgy thoughtlessly? Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. Remember the woman that had a chance to be saved. But she looked back and she was destroyed. Then when we come into his church and when we hear his word, we say to ourselves, it is relevant. It does have value. There is something in God's house when we assemble ourselves that we hear that you don't hear anyplace else. This is God's house. This is where the word is preached. We say to ourselves, what's good about the church? Isn't it this that here as regards the church and the word that is preached here? Here we are told the great blessing of baptism for our children. Here's where we bring our children. We bring them before the altar of the Lord. And we baptize them because the word of God tells us that baptism means to be born of water and of the spirit. It's the washing of regeneration. In baptism, when we bring our children, they become children of God. That faith is kindled in their hearts, even though they are not aware of it. And they are saved. It's always been a mystery to me why. When heaven looks down at a baptismal service and children are coming into the kingdom of God, why some of us are so busy on baptismal Sundays that we can't stay, we've got to leave, because it seems so boresome. I wonder what is so boresome about children being born again in baptism when heaven's got time and sometimes we're so busy and we're bored by a baptismal service. What's good about the church? Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. Write this on your soul on your remembrance Sunday. Remember Lot's wife. She was a woman that had a chance to be saved and she turned to a pillar of salt because she looked back. She had a chance and she goofed it, didn't she? She blew it. There was something about it that she just turned a, a yearning for Sodom. And when you and I say, I, I'm going to remember that woman who had a chance and missed it. It slipped through her fingers. Then somehow or other... We look at the church with new eyes and Jesus would remind us we see something good. Because this word of God is the word of God that we hear oh, that instructs our children and we bring them to Sunday school and we bring them to catechism classes and we let them know all about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And we tell them all about the Savior. That on confirmation day they may stand before the altar of God and renew their baptismal vow and pledge their allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. No good in that. Nothing left in the church except to the worship of a building and to keep it going. Oh, when youth, I remember Lot's wife, the woman again that had a chance, and she let it escape her. Then when we look at the church, we say, there is something good to be said about the church. Here in the Word of God, here there is presented to us every Sunday a perfect Savior, one on whom you and I could never improve. What do I like about the church and about the gospel? The more I preach it, the more I appreciate it. It couldn't be better that he was God's Son that came into the world, that he was true God and true man, born of the Virgin Mary without sin, that on Calvary's cross, because he was God, he was big enough to bear hell and damnation for me and for you and for all men. 
Because he was God, he was big enough to merit a 100% righteousness for the entire human race. And that again, in grace, it becomes a free gift that he offers it. This is the gospel. It's perfect. You couldn't improve upon it if you wanted to. Some men can't see it, and they look at the church and they say, what does the church have to offer? Ninety-eight years of that gospel. I care not who the preacher was. I know he preached the gospel. It's rather unusual. Ninety-eight years old, this congregation, you've only had five called pastors. You started with Reverend Hatch. And then there came Reverend Nicholas, and then there came Reverend Stellhorn, and then there came Reverend Schillinger, and then I came. It's rather unusual. Reverend Schillinger's ministry up to my time was the longest 28 years, and mine will be 35 on the first day of November. You realize that in 63 years of the 98, you have had only two full-time called pastors. Well, that's rather unusual. And may I speak for the four who have gone to the kingdom triumphant as well as for myself. This I know, and you know it too. It was the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ that has been proclaimed in this church for 54 years and for this congregation for 98. What's good about the church? A perfect Christ, bringing life and salvation for all men. For our children, and then... What's good about the church? Well, here we come. The church and the Word of God bringing its blessing when our children get married. Isn't it strange? We turn to the church, don't we? And we stand at the altar. I wonder how many of us realize just what the marriage bond really means in the eyes of God. That it's the only institution we have. Do you realize that? That God instituted before sin came into the world? God created Adam and Eve, and then God performed the first marriage ceremony before sin ever entered. Just to give us an idea of what the home was to be like. A little bit of heaven on earth. What's good about the church? That the church reminds our young men and our young women what a wonderful blessing is marriage. God instituted it in the Garden of Eden before the world was ever contaminated by sin. What's good about the church? A lot of things that are good. And yet today, so many are turning their back on the church. There's nothing good about it. It's got to go. We're living in the post-Christian era. There's nothing left of any worth. And Jesus, on Anniversary Sunday, says to you and me, Remember Lot's wife. Remember the one that turned back, the woman that had a chance to be saved and was destroyed. And Jesus says, when you do that, then when you look at my church and my word, you're going to be grateful. You're going to be thankful. You're going to be, see something of value. And then well, what the church means when death comes and lays its icy hand on one of our loved ones, that's when we turn to the church, don't we? Because, you see, when death comes to a loved one, we die a little too, don't we? And where do we turn to the church? It's always been a mystery to me out at the hospital. When you look at your list, the number of individuals at the hospital when it says church preference, NC, NC, no choice, no choice. I wonder how a family can live through the years and all the vicissitudes of life without the church and without comfort. And when death comes, they want a minister. 
And oh, they want comfort. And may I say this, in 41 years in the ministry, the hardest funeral sermons that I ever have to preach to any other minister are the ones that you preach when you're preaching to a family that has turned its back on Jesus Christ and the church. Now wanting comfort that isn't there. You preach to the living, oh yes. But how can a family go on not having Jesus Christ? But isn't it strange you very seldom hear of a funeral without a minister? It's rather strange. Then somehow or other the church has value. Jesus says to you and me this morning on Remembrance Sunday, remember Lot's wife. Remember the woman that had a chance to be saved from Sodom. But she, she looked around, she turned, and she looked back when she was told not to. The heart yearned for the world. And she became a pillar of salt. When you and I can write that on our hearts and we look at the church with new eyes and we say some wonderful things. It's in the church, isn't it, where you and I come when we're afraid of tomorrow? Where do you hear it but in God's house? When in the gospel lesson Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Some of us are so afraid, aren't we? Where do you come? Oh, when we have the blues and we're despondent and we wonder, what about tomorrow? When we come into God's house and Jesus says, I have overcome the world. What are you afraid of? You trust in me. I run the world. I hold the world in the palm of my hand. Where do you hear it? In the church. Yet men are saying the church hasn't anything to say to the world. The church is a decadent institution. It's dead. Maybe some of us have said, what? What value is there in the church? I think it's time that we stop sometimes and say, there are some good things to say about the church. Some of the finest things, and oh, again, what would the world be without it? We come into God's house when we remember Lot's wife. Remember there was a woman that could have had salvation from Sodom and Gomorrah, but she, she just she blew it. She turned back. It meant more to her than again to escape the fire and brimstone. And it enveloped her and encrusted her with salt. And there she was, a pillar of salt. We say, what's good about the church? Why in the church and in the word of God? We hear that we are to love one another. I guess the biggest kick against the church is somehow or other the fact that people say we live within walls and we, we don't look at the world. We talked about loving one another last Sunday, didn't we? When Jesus said, you've got to love one another. You've got to go out, and I want you to long for the eternal welfare of every man that you meet, and that you treat him accordingly. This week, you and I had an illustration of what he can do. Eleven members of the Israeli Olympic team murdered in cold blood. You know, it doesn't surprise me if you've ever been in the Holy Land, you'll come away as I did. I thought I knew what hatred was in the world. Well, I was in Jerusalem. Christianity, Judaism, Mohammedanism. The Jew and the Arab. I never saw such hatred. 
I never dreamed that one man could hate another man. Yet people are saying to the church, where's the church? Listen, I want you to know something. The only answer to this hate problem is Jesus Christ. It's just that relevant. And until men are going to stand and find forgiveness in him, they're going to learn to love. There isn't any treaty. There isn't any kind of an arbitration. There isn't any kind of a war that's going to bring it about. It's only the message of the church of Jesus Christ. You've got to love one another. It's that relevant. Ninety-eight years. Have we lived just to ourselves? Every time you and I put our gifts in the right side of that envelope for benevolence, that went for somebody else, didn't it? In the drives of the church to which we belong, you and I have contributed generously. In Lutheran world action, when the cry came from those who needed because of harassment in the world, you and I have done something. Don't let anybody tell you that the church just sits around to keep a building going, to pay light and gas bills. To love one another. I challenge, where do you hear it? Except in God's house. Is the church dead? I think it's about time that we begin to say something nice about the church. Jesus Christ says, love one another. What's wrong is we forget. Remember Lot's wife, Jesus says. Remember, four started out and only three made it. She had it within her hands and she, she goofed it. She let it slip. She let it escape because she was longing for Sodom. She was destroyed. When you and I remember her on Remembrance Sunday, then we're going to look at the church and Jesus says, when you're going to appreciate my church, you're going to appreciate the privilege of going to church and hearing my word. Why? Because it's here in church, isn't it, where we hear about a forgiving Christ, even though... We've turned our backs on him. How many have wandered away? How many have turned their backs on the church and gone? It's rather strange how individuals again who have known Christ have walked away until the day of illness comes. And then somehow or other, they're so happy to see a minister. And then it is my privilege as a minister to say, even though you had it in your hand and it slipped and it's gone, and you're so ashamed and you feel so guilty. When individuals said to me, I've walked out on God for 25 years, and I've had nothing to do with him. Why should he have something to do with me now? To be able to say, but I've got a Christ who went to the cross for individuals who have let it slip. I've got a Christ who doesn't care how long you have turned your back on him. There is forgiveness. Where can you go in any place in the world except in the church of Jesus Christ where his word brings us a visible assurance of the forgiveness of sins? You know, I'm amazed sometimes at the Lord's Supper. Do you realize what this is? Here is a visible, here is bread and wine, something you and I can see and we chew it and we swallow it. And Jesus says, here is visible proof. As you receive this bread and wine, it will communicate to you my body and blood. And that body and blood that was given and shed on the cross 
Here is the absolute assurance that you are saved. Some of you are a little bit upset about individuals who are talking about being baptized in the Holy Spirit and who are talking about speaking strange tongues as though here is an assurance, an emotional experience that they're talking languages and words that they don't know what they mean, that they have an assurance of salvation that you and I can't have. Listen, don't you ever forget that Paul says you may speak in the language of heaven and give God a headache. All these emotional experiences may be just that. There isn't any absolute proof beyond communion. This is the altar call. You and I can look and see that bread and wine. I don't have to say whether I feel good or whether I feel bad. But I can say with that bread and wine, I know that I've gotten his body and blood. There is no greater assurance for salvation in the world. Even if you had a faith to move mountains and you could even have a faith that you could cure people or that you could speak a thousand languages you never heard. There is no greater proof than what's right here on the earth. It amazes me how many of us can turn our back on it. When Jesus says, here's the altar call, do you want to be assured you're saved? Here is bread and wine. Here is the visible proof that you've gotten my body and blood. That that body and blood, those erasers have erased from your soul all your guilt and punishment. Rather strange. Maybe I'm not explaining it the way it ought to be. Maybe this is what's wrong. Or could it be that you and I have forgotten Lot's wife? Maybe that's it. What can we say that's good about the church? Well, there's this that's good about it. And remember his Lot's wife who, who again, who had the chance to be saved from fire and brimstone, but she looked back and she let it slide to her fingers. She became a pillar of salt. When you and I remember what happened to her, that again, she was destroyed. Then Jesus says, you'll begin to appreciate my church, to come to church, to hear the word. Why? Because, oh, what comfort when the shadows begin to lengthen. We're 98 years old, aren't we? Not too many of us stood up this morning. There were 56 last year. The number dwindles, doesn't it? Gets less and less. Oh, I was in Egypt at Cairo at the pyramids and stood there before the Sphinx. You remember the riddle of the Sphinx that said, what is it that walks on four legs in the morning and two legs at noon and three legs in the evening? And of course you know the answer, it's man. You and I come into the world, as it were, walking on all four legs, our hands and our feet, and in the prime of life we stand erect. Then in the evening, when the shadows begin to lengthen, we've got a cane. We walk with three legs. And again, we face the western sky. Any comfort there? We've got one man in the hospital right now. The thing that he's talked to me about mostly this past week was the fact that he, he can't be here this morning. 
You'd be surprised what it means when we are facing the western sky and our bodies are weak. We can't hardly stand alone. And he wept. And he said, I'll not be there Sunday, but I'll be listening. And when you ask over the air for us to stand, I'm going to get out of bed. I think you'll need help. And I'm going to stand at attention because I, I can't be there bodily, but I was there 54 years ago. We say comfort when we face the western sky, the comfort of heaven and eternal life and everlasting salvation. This is the church. I like to say something good about it. 98 years, 54 in this church, if we'll just remember Lot's wife. And as we walk the glory road with Jesus this morning, uh, Jesus would say, do you see off of the glory road, do you see uh, that pillar of salt? And I say, yes, Lord. And Jesus would say, remember, as long as you live, will you? That's Lot's wife. She had a chance, and she let it slip by, and she was destroyed. Then as we remember Lot's wife, and we walk the glory road, then we can sing with him, My church, my church, my dear old church, my fathers and my own, on prophets and apostles built in Christ the cornerstone, all else beside by storm or tide may yet be overthrown, but not my church, my dear old church, my father's, and my own. You see, when we remember Lot's wife, here is the place when even though we look up to heaven with a tear, it looks beautiful. Amen. The peace of God, which passeth all human understanding, keep and unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting.